Welcome, everyone, back to the Being the Change podcast. I am Kristen Vandeveer here with Isabel Kiyosayan. We are founders of Meditation Without Borders and founders of this podcast. And today we are speaking with Corey Smith. Uh, Corey is a serial social entrepreneur. He's created company after company that is purpose driven, all working towards making a difference. Um, and currently, he is CEO and co founder of Wisdom Labs, which has a suite of products to create a more resilient, less stressed, and more enlightened workplace. Um, I met Corey uh, last fall, I believe it was. We were both speaking at a entrepreneur's event, and I remember seeing him, and he's, he was this tall, very <laughs> quiet man, and I was interested in him, and then he got up and he started speaking, and I was blown away by his experience and what he's gone through. Um, he is a perfect example of someone who is changing the world from the inside out, um, but doing it through business and is taking knowledge and, or as they say, scaling wisdom, which I find a fascinating concept, which I can't wait to unpack today. Um, so, so let's get started. Corey, um, I'd love to talk about that moment that really set you on the trajectory of creating all these um, social entrepreneurial businesses, um, the pivot point for you in Jerusalem years ago. Would you mind um, explaining this that sure. for us? D diving right into that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I thought I'd go, <laughs> I'd go right for the most Okay, intense. well, let's start it out. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me. I, um, for a really long time, I didn't talk about this, and um, I've recently been talking about it more. And um, um, I noticed, though, that it's still, this was 20-some years ago, um, when I was in a, you know, a young entrepreneur, um, and um, still, still affects me. So I was... Um, to put the time frame in, um, I, I, one of my, one of the early companies I co-founded was a company called MediaCast, and we were one of the first online on-location webcast companies in 1995. Um, we did things like um, the first um, online peace summit um, with uh, Shimon Peres from Israel, with Eli Weissel there speaking with um, Jimmy Carter from Atlanta, and. Um, um, we had a group of um, Nobel laureates in Hiroshima at the um, anniversary of the dropping of the bomb. Um, and um, uh, that set us up with um, um, a relationship with the United Nations. And from that, um, we did a lot of work with UN and um, had an opportunity to, after, um, MediaCast to um, travel around the world with a team for a year documenting world heritage sites. And it was called Planetary Dialogues, one, one of these first travel logs, online travel logs. And we're using these, um, these world heritage sites as a backdrop to, um, to look at where people are um, cross collaborating for peace. Um, and, um, and also just the culture of these organizations, just the art of these, these locations. And so we're in places like, um, to Mexico city, actually, uh, and, yay. <laughs> yay. and then, uh, <laughs> Indonesia, like Borobudur and Prambanan are two big sites. 
and um, and then we went to um, uh, Egypt with the city center of Cairo and uh, the great pyramids of Egypt, and then off to Jerusalem, and and that's what brings us up to the time in Jerusalem when we were doing interviews with different people who were looking at cross-cultural peace initiatives. Um, and we had just finished an interview um, with, um, with a gentleman that, or, well, there's a group of people that were, um, that were doing a cross-cultural choir um, with, with all um, different people from around the region just to um, sing together. And we sat down for lunch and had just sat down for lunch in this open square in Ben Yehuda Square when a bomb went off. And this bomb, um, I was right there, it was right open. So I grabbed my colleague and I, and we ran out of there. And uh, there, was, there was a cab and I was going to get in the cab and I put her in the cab and went back because I had my camera and I went back toward it. I think both just to see what, who needed help. And then also I had my camera and I'd been filming for a year, year, almost a year or maybe longer straight. And I went right back into it. And, um, and um, it was a dark night of my soul at the time. And still, I think to this today, um, to see what happened was there were three Israeli soldiers dressed or three Hamas um, suicide bombers dressed as Israeli soldiers that blew themselves up simultaneously. And uh, a lot of young girls that were there and other people. Um, I'll spare you a lot of those details. Um, but what happened with me after that was I went back to the hotel. My team suggested I go to, um, to CNN, which we'd been to before. And I, I did go there uh, with my footage and said, if I'm going to have anything with this footage, I want to be able to talk about it, or I'm not just going to give it to you. And they, they put me on uh, live on CNN with Atlanta and as an eyewitness. And I thought, okay, I can do this. Um, and um, I can do this and frame it the way I'd like to frame it. And what happened in that scenario was that um, they were asking me questions about describing the content and just, I was wanting to get to something else and we we're talking over each other. And it just occurred to me just right at that moment that one, I was just jumped into the machine here. And, um, and it was really clear to me the different work that we were doing, um, there in terms of what cross-cultural peace initiatives and what I just walked into, which is really in my mind was just a way of, if it uh, bleeds, it leads thing. Here's, here's some footage. Mm -hmm. Everyone look at the footage that just happened. We're gonna talk to somebody to describe the footage. We're not gonna try to get under it. And then we're going to sell you some more um, ads. And um, it was a turning point for me to really say, what is it that I'm doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? What is it that I've been doing that I want to reemphasize? And, um, and just made me question a lot of things that I might not question until later in life, I think, in terms of what my purpose is, why I do what I do, um, and what I can do for, to make, create a contribution. And I made a uh, 
I guess you'd say kind of almost a promise to myself at that time or shortly after that, that for all the people that I've affected or that that footage went out to, I would try to affect the same amount of people as something that's positive and helpful and actually in the opposite direction of that. And um, so that's, uh, I don't know that I've reached that, but that's, that's what I'm up to now. And that's where from there I went on to do another uh, company called Webcast Solutions. And then what, how that kind of unfolded was I realized that if I'm going to do that, I really need to understand the levers of social change. And so I really went into social entrepreneurship after that and became the CEO of the Impact Hub in San Francisco and of an organization called SOCAP, the Social Capital Markets Conference, which is impact entrepreneurs and impact investors, social, social, um, socially focused for people on the planet. And then later was looking at um, the political levers and became the first innovation fellow for the city of San Francisco, working with Mayor Ed Lee. And, um, and then Mayor Ed Lee died of stress, well, really a heart attack, a young, young man. And all these things like, how do we actually make change in the world? What are the levers of social change? Led me to just both serving social entrepreneurs and impact investors and, 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 and the city and, and understanding those intersections. It's kind of led me to the company now today, Wisdom Labs, and kind of trying to put a lot of that together. One of the points you made in your speech before um, when I saw you in, in last November that really stuck with me um, had to do with this idea of the levers of social change and that it was, you said that it was business, not politics, that has the most influence on our culture and ability to make social change. And I thought that was fascinating. And it seems like that that philosophy is what, shaped wisdom labs in a way um but could you go could you elaborate that on that yeah and i think we've seen that i would modify that slightly that maybe in this era that culture is being shaped greatly by politics we've got a politics of um separation and polarization now like we've never had before so it is affecting our culture quite greatly uh yet i'm still um quite optimistic about the influence of business over time because business has the most, if you will, power and influence and money and um, real ability to make positive change. And so where we see a lot of things gummed up in the politics and where we are now, I see lots, uh, or used to be glimmers of hope in the business world and now many <laughs> more um, bright lights in the, in, the, in, the, um, in the business world for change. And I think we're on this, um, I think we're on a... Cl- getting closer and closer year after year to a place where business, um, because it's led by employees um, uh, and teams and real people, will we'll say, we don't do that in our business. We care about people. We care about planet. We care about culture. Um, we care about respect. We care about all the things that we don't see necessarily reflected in our political uh, environment. And we have the money and the influence in order to make that change. And so it started, what started with a lot of kind of these leading on, uh, uh, entrepreneurs and CEOs and, and teams in these organizations is starting to, to really take off. And so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very optimistic that that's going to be the case. 
Well, you know, if you think about it, oftentimes business is what's pulling the strings of politics yeah, behind right, the right, scenes, right. Yeah. in a sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that's interesting that you've seen a, um, a shift, some shifts happening. I mean, this is what we're also seeing in the meditation community as well. It seems like there is a rising in the consciousness in a, in a sense. Um, and people are getting it more. Meditation is not something that you have to sell as hard yeah, yeah. as you used to. Um, but um, for, for you, um, are you finding that like when you go into companies, do you find that you have to sell meditation or is it now just something that is understood to be beneficial? Um, yeah. And, and it, 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 it's, I think it's, 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 it's moved over time. Um, that it was first, yeah, it's about, it might be about in the early days, it might just be only about stress or it might be about productivity or these sort of things. But, um, uh, there it just, you just be really clear. Business doesn't typically do anything unless it's in their interest still. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's nice. It's nice that they have it. I just think we've seen an evolution of things like, hey, we'll provide great food for you. We'll provide fitness. We'll provide all these various things. And when, whenever people, I think, are starting to realize that actually how you work and your mental well-being, mental, emotional, and social well-being is really what you bring to work. And how you work with others and how you mm-hmm. collaborate is really important. So there's a whole group of companies that buy into that already. And then you've got things like productivity, um, attraction, retention of talent, which are important things and all of that. Um, I could back up, though, because in the beginning, this whole idea, this whole I've, I've been I, I, I've been involved in, in for personally in mindfulness and meditation and others for many, many years and also skeptical. Of, I've always you know, been skeptical about business in general. A lot of times you have to be very careful about you're going to bring something in that is from that has this 2000 plus year old lineage and how is it framed and how can you how can we um, not get duped into just, um, if you will, making it something that is just making people more um, effective, but not necessarily and, and able to withstand the bad problems and just that sort of thing. And so. In the very early days of starting out, we sat down with our two main advisors, which still are advisors and teachers that we work with, which is Jack Hornfield and Tara Brock. And um, they, we just said, we've got this major issue that we want to make sure before we start this company and get going on it we, and trying to scale what we're doing. What advice do you have for us? This isn't going to turn sideways. We've seen so many things that started in a good way that turned sideways. And both of them separately and together um, came with the same advice, which is if you're going to bring mindfulness into companies, you need to yoke it with compassion. Because if you, mm-hmm. if you are always yoking mindfulness and compassion together, you're going to be planting seeds that will then take root. And you can, you can feel good mm-hmm. that, that planting and watering those seeds will yield whatever they will yield, but you're doing the work that you set out to do. And so we've used that as a guiding principle all the way along. And so just before we even start about how, because we were conflicted in the beginning, and I think still a lot of times we're very wary 
about not letting this turn. And what we've seen over time, uh, Kristen, to your question, is that it started out with just a few people. We couldn't even mention the word meditation. <laughs> and it just slowly, you know, the studies started coming out. And now it's really like we, we start with the science first, and that helps everyone just calm down. And then we've even actually, um, we've actually done everything we structure is something where it starts with the science so your head can get it, and then a practice so that you can actually get it in your body and your, your soul, if you will. And then yourself, does this resonate? And so um, that has been a really wonderful thing. And then in our communities program, which we can talk about later, we go further to get into discussion around it. And that kind of process mm -hmm. seems to really work. Yeah. That, that's fascinating. It's almost like you use the science as like the key. And then once they've had the experience, they no longer need it because they know what it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, um, <laughs> we're not. And we're also really careful. This is not something that... Um, is mandated. We never want to make anything mandated. It's just something that's available for people to come to if they want it. Um, we, we, uh, people have suggested that we do that. We've never done that in an organization. It's just something that's available to let people come to as they want. We ask that they advertise it, that it's available, but, um, but that's beyond that. We let people come to it as they need. And now we're seeing that there's a whole nother wave of things right now that are happening. I don't know if you saw the um, Beyond Productivity Attraction Retention, but there was a census um, uh, survey that came out maybe just a couple months ago, if, if even that, that said a third of Americans are showing signs of clinical anxiety and depression. So that's 33% of the population, up from 11% in 2019. So... That's a huge wow. jump. And so clinical signs of anxiety and depression, um, that is very costly to humans, people. I mean, just imagine the cost of the individuals. And then when you put it in a business context, oh, there's my dog. She walked in and she won't <laughs> stop until there's a summer. I'm never okay, everybody. One second. <laughs> Oh, he's so good. <laughs> All right, that's Sadie. Yeah, she wants. <laughs> Hi, Sadie. <laughs> yeah. Um, Izzy's got her dog. We can bring let yeah. them say hi. <laughs> oh no, she, I, I left her at, at my parents' house because she would be so loud. So I was like, we need total quiet. Yeah, yeah. I've learned just to go with what Sadie wants, right? She, she, she wants in, I'll let her in. She just lay down in her bed. But I don't know if you could hear the tamale truck. Like, <laughs> like in I love that visual though. You know, it's like putting, putting this in context, right? The tamale truck's rolling by. <laughs> <laughs> oh well um th th this is also fascinating um i one of the things i really admire about you is how gracefully you're able to interweave uh these concepts of mindfulness also these older traditions these 2000 year old traditions um like when you brought plum village to dreamforce that was fan amazing 
Um, because for me, I, I, I don't go into businesses too often um, because the worlds of the worlds of business and meditation and mindfulness are almost opposing philosophies in a sense. You've got business coming from a capitalist model that presumes that happiness and success comes from earning money and influence, like as if happiness comes from the outside in. And then meditation presumes that happiness is comes from within and that it's an inside out process and that we meditate in order to take our happiness on an excursion. And that's where the fulfillment is. So, um, so I, you, you seem to handle this so gracefully. Um, so, so how do you, um, when you have a company that, that really is looking for meditation as a way of becoming more productive and this to make more money in order to become happy. Um, how do you deal with that? Do you, do you go with that? You go with their needs and then over time, do you find that they shift their definition of what it means to be a successful business or do they stay in that, that camp? Uh, I think, I think most companies we work with really care about their employees and our employees themselves. And they are parents mm -hmm. oftentimes, and they are part of a community and they are um, in working really hard and trying to balance lots of different things. And so I think the companies typically come to it with, I, I don't, I don't really find them coming to it with this, at least the companies we work with, with let's squeeze out more productivity or do it just because of attraction and retention. I mean, they have to have a business reason behind it, but overwhelmingly it's that, what people are, um, we need to care for the mental, emotional, and social well-being of our people. And I think there's a realization mm -hmm. that it's not about, we give them gyms, we give them all the different things. It's not about so much, um, it's not even that we're trying to um, make them more productive, but, and especially in these days, with stress being so high, it's been really high for a really long time. Um, last, the last stats on it was, went up from 73% of Americans who work, say they were stressed to 83%. This is pre COVID. You can imagine what the numbers are right now. Um, <laughs> worry, anxiety, and all that off the charts. So what people are asking for is this is too much. And when you add on the uncertainty, what's going on right now and, and the polarization and, um, a lot of the things that are going on in our new cycles that are also disturbing for people, there is this really crisis point when, again, back to that, like a third of Americans are showing clinical signs of anxiety and depression. And this is a worldwide thing, by the way. It's happening all over the world. Um, the, the World Health Organization came out with something uh, last year saying I think 264 million people um, have, uh, have clinical anxiety. It, so it's a major thing. And I think what's happening is people are saying, what can help with that that's non-drug related? What can help with helping people? And, and actually, it's the employees themselves that are asking for it because they're aware of it. They're listening to podcasts like this. They want to uh, understand what's going on, how they can help. And they realize that actually everything that I keep hearing in the, in the culture and people I really trust is that let's first understand how to... Um, notice my thoughts and then how to maybe the next step um, respond instead of react and create a pause in there and what would help with that. And then where can I go from that point? And so that's where I think a lot of this is driving from. And there's this, I think I've had a real skepticism of business going in and 
I've always worked with business, but I've also seen it's oftentimes in their own interests, like I told you at the outset with this Jerusalem story. And I think that's still true. But I'm much more hopeful than I've ever been that a lot of the reason why people are bringing this in is because they truly care about people. And the people that comprise the businesses that we work with, it'd be like HR, learning and development, talent, well-being. These, these people really, truly care about the well-being of the, of, of the people that they um, that make up their company and their teams. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm much more hopeful and a lot less, um, I guess you'd say, uh, sarcastic or just like, uh, I don't know. I'm finding it actually is I'm, I'm, I'm much more hopeful, I would say, than ever before. That's great. <laughs> and have you seen once once you teach um, all, all these different companies, have you seen this shift? Because I remember when I was working in, in a company in Mexico, I was like, they really need to meditate. And I'm just wondering when you go to any of these companies what the what has been the shift in yeah in I, I think a lot of that comes to um one is anecdotal we we just done a recent um bunch of spotlights on our community leaders and they're really saying how important it's been for the people that show up and their 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 local community the community that they work with within um within their organization and seeing how important to discuss and learn about topics that, um, that are really helpful. Um, and so I think there's some anecdotal evidence and then we've done some things of testing even down to, um, blood pre and post, um, uh, a 12 week mindfulness program where we, we looked at the 53 genes that encode for inflammation in the body before and then took blood after and screened specifically for those 53 genes after and we saw a reduction in um, the markers for stress and so we've done all those different areas um, to to, uh, to to start to see see where the change is happening and now just we're at the very first you know we've been at this for six or seven years now and i think we're at the very first um parts of us seeing all of these elements working together and how they can really affect a big company and culture. We've got one particular company um, who I won't mention right now, who, for instance, um, just had a layoff two days ago, uh, 9% or whatever of their company, uh, 900 people, a lot of people, um, somebody that we, a company we, we respect tremendously and the way they showed up, um, just in, just, just really was, um, stellar in this way too. But, but what, what they're doing is they've got a lot of community leaders all around the world, um, that are, we call wise at work communities that are leading these communities of learning and practice. They're using the app and they have a, we have a dashboard, which is anonymized aggregated data on what's going on for the mental, emotional, and social well-being of the overall organization. So now we're actually able to see on a global basis how, um, how people are doing, how much they're practicing, which areas in, in aggregate they're practicing, what they need, how that's moving. We can see spikes, for instance, when people are going to calm and balance 
And then even more interestingly, um, we're right in the middle of doing this right now, is we can rework the content that we have that addresses the issue at hand. So right now, there's, a, there's already a heightened sense of stress, worry, and anxiety. So we've recorded a whole series around grief and loss in the workplace. And Jack Cornfield did a series with us called Difficult Situations at Work. Um, we've, um, so we can take parts of that and, and actually get that out to the communities so the communities can actually globally meet with their people. And when there's a big spike and a problem in the organization, start to really get into the culture in, the, in their international locations and, and, and learn and practice the skills that are actually be helpful during this time and have discussions around things that provide a psychological safety and a connection and like a year we're all in it together type of experience. So I'm really, I'm really hopeful that that sort of thing will really start to ripple throughout an organization because the ultimate idea here is that if you can actually change, help change a culture from the inside out, it starts to show up with the individual first, the team, the culture, but then all the stakeholders all the way down the line. So these are these are big webs that that uh, so a lot of these companies affect so many people globally. That the idea uh, we started out with this whole idea of scaling wisdom is starting to finally uh, find ways to manifest in in these kinds of ways, and we'll see how it all plays out. But it's exciting to see these elements all coming together. What I found fascinating about this idea of scaling wisdom is that you guys just don't have an app. You have the you do have an app, but then you have an app with the in-person um, communities, and then, like you said, you you are constantly adapting the material, and it is adaptable within. Um, it's not it's not one size fits all for everyone, so it helps. Um, so I, I would love to, for you to talk a little bit about this idea of scaling wisdom because I think it's it's really you guys are so big in terms of the companies you go into. You're in the I, I believe you're in Google and Ford. You've worked with and um, and Facebook and some of these really large companies. Um, can you talk a little bit to this idea of, of of the scaling wisdom and how how that what you've learned from from yeah so. Um this is a perfect time for me to um, to talk about the team because, as you as you really well know, I'm I'm talking to you about this, but really, everything that happens here is from our team, and we've been really fortunate. We're still a small startup. Um, we have much more influence than than a small startup might have, and we've been very fortunate that way. It's, but it's mostly all because we've had a very the, the same team, more or less, working on this with the same goal of creating positive change in the world at scale. And so, um, our C, our our CTO has been a longtime friend of mine and practitioner. Um, our our chief science officer, uh, Dr. Parnate Paul, is is somebody that we can really credit here for saying. Um, the elements that we have in our, our software as a service suite are intended to create behavior change at scale. So what, what that looks like is um, we, we have an app and the app itself is meant to uh, focus on different situations and moods you might have at work and that you could specifically shift. So it's called Why Is It Work? It's on all the app stores and all that, but you can shift your, your moods 
or situation at work, um, and then learning series. So that's the on-demand digital, like you'd see at a Calm or a Headspace or whatever it might be, um, but really focused on the workplace. And then we have this communities program, which is uh, meant to be peer-to-peer learning. And that, that essentially is, um, it's run by employees. Um, we, it's 30 minutes a, a week, every week. It was in person. Now it's virtual all the time. Um, and it goes through an arriving practice. Everyone goes through together. So all the, um, all the um, community leader needs to do is send out an email to all their colleagues, then invite them, which we provide all of that. Then they jump on our platform. They open up the module, which is up for that week. They push play. It starts with an arriving practice. Then it's the science of the topic that we're talking about. And then a practice that everyone does together, um, a meditation. And then um, after that, we have a discussion around how that shows up in the organization. So we got the digital, but then you have this in-person, which is really important because a lot of social change and behavior change is better if you're doing it with other people. And also it creates a sense of psychological safety and shared understanding and teamwork, collaboration and all that. And we have another product called Wise at Work Spaces, which is an iPad solution that we um, put in places in zones or rooms in, in that, so people can drop in from seven in the morning till seven at night. And we have a schedule where people can just come in and drop in either in a, a, a room. I can, we have that in I think 40 global locations at Salesforce as an example. So almost every new office they open has this meditation space. So you can do that. So then you've got a physics, something for the built environment. You've got something like, like good food or gyms that you can go to. Uh, when we get back to doing that sort of thing. <laughs> and then uh, we have the the in-person and then we have this um, digital solution. And then we also have a lot of, we used to do a lot of in-person work, but now we do a lot of webinars that are just like, give us that or challenges that can, can scale. So the combination of that um, is really um, come, comes from the team. A lot of it's driven by uh, Dr. Paul and, um, and is why we can do the scale scales we want and everything we have is built as a software as a service. So it's that part of the business can scale as well. And so we really want something that's really cost effective, but also has that personal component without us always needing to fly somewhere or be in the middle of it all. Mm-hmm. Addressing the need <laughs> of the time. <laughs> Adjusting to the need of the time. Yeah. Boy, there was never, never a lot of, uh, need for uh, adaptability, right? Resilience. Resilience. That's a key, yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, Kristen, you bring up resilience. Um, I would say all this, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about rolls up to resilience. This uncertainty, anxiety, worry, chronic stress can kind of like, what are the skills to help us build resilience? Because the first thing we need to do is stabilize I think most of what we're seeing now, even before, but even especially now, is before we try to teach too much, let's just stabilize this mind, body, spirit for a minute. Give some basic tools to help just calm the system and then learn the skills of resilience. What's the science say about it? We've got a 30-part series on our app called the uh, um, Resilience Primer Bounce Back Better. And um, so you're really learning the science and practice of all that sort of stuff. And then the other, 
The other thing that we've been working on um, is loneliness at work. And before this, everything in COVID hit, it was already a major issue. Um, the loneliness at work is equivalent to smoking a pack of cigarettes a, a day in its health risks. And when you, it's crazy, right? Wow. Um, because being lonely really wrecks your uh, system. And um, if you look at the stats on millennials and Gen Z of people who report they're lonely at work, it's crazy how many people feel lonely at work. And this was before um, we've socially isolated. And so one of the hidden things that we've found, we, we saw this coming, but we didn't see this coming. No one could see what's really happening here. But as more and more people isolate, this, this idea of these communities, which we were running once a week, now some people are running in three times a week, they're running in once a day. Um, so that people can come together and not be so lonely and learn and practice together. And it's cool because a lot of online stuff that we're having in this first phase of things is like, let's get together and talk and hang out and happy hours and all this other kind of stuff. But let's learn and practice together. Something that's really going to help us and our families and everything else is really starting to like, it feels really good to people. And they're like, I'm not letting go of that. That's one thing that's really helping me week by week by week or to, to manage and cope and deal with this, whether it's work related or family related or whatever. And Corey, you touch on such an important subject because we, you were talking about loneliness at, at the office and like if you're a meditator and you're alone in your office, sometimes you'll feel a little, yeah, a, a little lonely. And when you teach the whole office, I mean, people who are interested as you were saying, but you can have a bond with, with people in the office and have a connection and that'll immediately strengthen, strengthen all these friendships. And that will help a lot with, with loneliness at work, which as you said, is such a big issue. So it's, I think it's not only just the meditation, but it's all mm -hmm. the ripples that, that your work is doing. So it's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. That I love that on. Izzy, because um, the, you said something there that's really subtle but important, which is basically if there's a community or this is available in the, let's just say, in, in the company, then, and it's advertised just enough, it's a flag saying, come out, come out, wherever you are. Let's, let's, <laughs> oh, and it's like, you, oh, you, oh, you. And you're like, oh, I had no idea that woman in finance and that guy in marketing were, would actually be into this stuff. And it turns out that that, as you know, like a yoga class or a medita meditation or mindfulness class, you're like seeing, oh, there's a like-mindedness there that goes beyond um, our work and what we see each other as. And so we, it creates this little thing of like, I got your back or like, I want to talk to you about something else outside of just the work stuff. Yeah, so there's something you pick up that's, I think, really subtle but important. Like, okay, cool. Work doesn't have to be all about that. Mm -hmm. I think also since you have these communities in the workplace and they're centered around the workplace, I think it lets people feel, I would imagine it make them feel more comfortable to tell a colleague like, hey, I've got a presentation in, in 45 minutes. I'm going to go sit and practice for 10 minutes. Um, 
as opposed to feeling like they have to hide their practice, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like hide under their desk. I have students who meditate yeah. in the bathroom. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. <laughs> it, it's like so interesting about coming out of the closet in a way and in, in, in companies. <laughs> Yeah. I'm a meditator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's not. It's not a natural. It's not a natural thing to have that in organizations. Um, I hope it becomes more natural because if if you just stop and think about it for a minute, ninety percent of what we do at work is through our mental, emotional, and social systems, and. And so why wouldn't, with all the research there, why wouldn't you start to embrace this? But it's, it's had the stigma and it's had all these different things and, and we're in a polarized society already. So people are looking to, so people are naturally kind of like, I'm going to keep it on the DL until I figure out who, you know, is this, is this, is this, is this company actually like support this? <laughs> But, you know, luckily more and more, that's not so much a deal, but it used to be. Yeah, it wasn't so long ago. I was in advertising and everything was about looking productive, whether or not we were. And Mexico's a little behind the curve um, of the States. (laughs) So here it's just slowly starting, but we still have this thing which I know also exists in the States, but we have this thing where companies are are looked upon strictly because of how much money they make and not in the quality of life that they give to to their employees and how happy they are. And and now that you're giving this to so many companies and all these leaders, I, I think you're really creating a shift in, in the consciousness of of each each place where you teach and that is that is going into the consciousness of the country because we admire all these big companies and when you see these companies doing all all these amazing things of wellness for their employees then you see like oh well this company is is doing it then this should be done it should be important and i think that's the the working model is changing and mexico it's it's starting to but but you're doing such a fantastic job of of spreading that and and as you said your work starts inside but it's it's rippling out into into starting with big companies and then everybody's starting to do it because everybody wants 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 that and once the big ones start then everybody's joining in that's exactly it and um i think you can take we realized that from the beginning that the most important thing we could possibly do was to get some CEOs on board who are willing to come out and say this and to do this. And so a couple I can mention because they were real pioneers and it's like Mark Vanioff from Salesforce um, was not afraid to say that he's a meditator. Um, Bill Ford, Ford, um, <laughs> you know, think about Ford motor company, you know, and uh, um, here's a, Here's like the heart of America, but his advisor through all the years and all the changes has been Jack Cornfield. And so to have him talk about that and even, and then LinkedIn, um, Jeff Weiner, who used to be the CEO, just recently stepped down uh, of LinkedIn 
is talks about compassionate leadership. And so our whole thing is, again, how can we work with these companies and have them be a lighthouse for other companies, just like you said, Izzy? And I, you know, mm -hmm. so if you're thinking about Mexico and where it is in that stage and people that are working there and maybe want to make an impact that may be listening here, find those leaders that are ready and embrace it and provide them with something that's smart so that they can feel good and they can start to be, because they also a lot of times want to be pioneers and uh, leaders, true leaders and lead, and they're, they're willing to take a few slings and arrows if they know that this is solid and based in science and they're not going to get obscured later. But I would say anybody that may be listening to this in Mexico says we're too far behind, go to those companies that already get it and give them all the support you can um, to help bring this in and start to elevate their CEOs in ways, if, if at all, or their uh, or their teams or whatever, um, because I think that is the way it starts to happen. And that was our philosophy of change all the way through. So, Corey, is there a wise at work uh, in Spanish? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, there's not. We're still English. We're still English. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah, yeah, the exactly. Of it right here. Overwhelming <laughs> demand after this podcast. <laughs> we need you in Mexico. But you know, the good thing is that Mexico follows what the state does. So, so it'll it'll take some time, but it's definitely something that that will happen because because they're the lighthouse, as you said. So they'll they'll be inspired. Right. They're starting yeah, to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Corey. This has been such a fascinating journey with you describing why is it work and your own personal journey and how your personal journey has created this incredible, influential, far-reaching um, organization that I I am so such a big fan of. <laughs> oh, is there anything you want to, um, before we uh, say goodbye, is there anything you want to tell our listeners? Yeah, I would just say um, that w these are really dark times on almost every front when you look at it, if you have that certain lens. And I, I just, I would just say there are, there are bright spots here that the shifts are starting to happen in, in, in the fields where you both are working and your listeners are this whole idea of change from the inside out happening through individuals, and then in our case, at least through teams, and then through company cultures, and then in the communities in which they operate, and then the products and services of the people that they reach is a real thing that's happening. And so one bright spot, and that, as you know, people that get on this path, a lot of them drop off, but a lot of people that are in it, they're like, I'm in this and it's going to stick. And the trend is moving very much in that direction. And all this pressure and intensity that we're in and uncertainty and stress is only creating more opportunity for people to, to say, oh, I give, give me something else and creating more openness for this sort of thing to come through. And so what we're seeing is a true breaking and, and, and an opportunity for something to grow from that breaking to come out. And I, um, I, I find it's, it's, to me, I find it's really an optimistic um, view in the middle of what seems to be a very dark time in, in almost any way you look at it. Um, so 
I want to, I just leave with, I just leave with that. Well, well, thank you because you are, as things break down, you are providing the light that is shining through (laughs) the cracks. So thank you so much for the work you do. It's been really a pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you. It's been been a a joy. joy Yeah. Such a joy. Well, good. You guys take good care and um, we'll, we'll be in touch. Okay. Thank you. Thank thank, you. And thank all our listeners. Um, We'll be talking more to some other business leaders as well and continue the conversation of business and meditation soon. But um, for now, have a lovely day, everyone. Bye.